Good evening, everyone. I should say Happy New Year to you. Is it still okay to say Happy New Year? It is the first Sunday of the year, so I'm allowed to do that. Um, great to be with you. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, maybe you're visiting or um, you're new here, I have been part of Hillsborough Hope Church for a long time. I've known Bill for a long time too, and uh, I have been the subject of some of his stories that he tells on Sunday morning. So uh, we went to Bible college together, and I can tell you that as Bill shares about the vision for the church, um, I heard those visions 10 years ago as he shared his heart with me for ministry and what he wanted to do and what he wanted to see God do. Um, to that vision and that passion, he's added experience and wisdom. And so I just want to say we're in good hands here. And uh, the closer you get to Bill, the better person he becomes. You know, sometimes it's the other way around, but the more you get to know Bill, um, the, the more you get to see his character and the godly man that he is. So can I just encourage you to um, just to follow his lead with where God is leading him and, uh, and let's see what God's going to do in and through us. Uh, so I'm married to Rebecca and I've got two kids, Jude and Darcy, and you'll see a little picture of those guys in a minute or two. I work for an organization called Bible Study Fellowship. The headquarters is in San Antonio, Texas. And if you're thinking that's a long commute, it is quite a long commute, but thankfully I don't have to go there every day. I have a small office down in Belfast. There's a few of us there. And um, we're a global ministry who are trying to help um, people uh, go into God's Word a bit deeper. And we specifically have been tasked with reaching people who are young adults. And that's anyone in the under 40 bracket. So if you're under 40, you're a young adult. Just let you know that. Um, so we've been tasked with reaching those guys. And what we're trying to do is take these ancient truths and these principles and all this wisdom and uh, communicate it in a way that is relevant using brand and technology and all those sorts of things. Um, so we're working on a few very exciting projects that hopefully at some point you'll hear more about um, throughout this year and next. Um, yeah, so tonight I'm going to uh, share with you from the book of Ruth. So this is a book that we have been studying this year in Word in the City and in Bible Study Fellowship. And uh, it's a, a really powerful book, and I'm sure you've heard a few sermons on it throughout the years. And it's not possible to go into everything that's in this book in one night. And I hope that when I share this sort of overview, that it'll inspire you to go and read it. Maybe this week or maybe in the next month, you've been thinking, oh, I'd love to get into God's Word a bit more. This is a great book to do that with. There's only four chapters in it. And you can say I read a full book of the Bible pretty quickly. So I encourage you to dive into that. So my hope is that you're inspired uh, tonight to, to go and study it for yourselves uh, also. So my plan is to give you a big picture overview, as I said. And then I'm going to drop down into a few moments within the book uh, to see what we can learn from the life of Ruth and Naomi and some of the other characters who are within the book it raises uh, some big questions for us. And I don't know about you, but if you ever have a question in life, where, where do you turn to? If you're being honest, if I'm being honest, I often turn to Google. Is anyone else? Go to Google. Yes, a few people admitting they go to Google when they've got big questions. So here are a few of the top questions that were asked on Google in 2018. Uh, the first one is this, is what is the Brexit deal? It's a big question that's on people's mind. What is Bitcoin? Has anyone heard of Bitcoin? Cryptocurrency? We'll not go into that tonight. And the, this other question I thought was really interesting is, what is GDPR? 
Anyone heard of GDPR this year and been like, what on earth is that? So those are three of the top questions um, that were on Google, asked to Google this year. And if you need to Google them now, feel free. I'll not hold it against you. Um, so we love to, to ask Google questions, but we also love to ask God questions. And whenever they survey people, a question that always comes up, if, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? People always ask. It's always in the top five, top three. Often the first, first question they ask is, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why do so many bad things happen? Why does God allow such suffering to happen in this world we live in? And so often in life, we are surprised by the suffering that we face in our own personal lives. And if you look back at 2018, and I'm not trying to start off on a negative tone here, just by a quick survey of hands, if you went through any sort of difficulty emotionally, physically, maybe there was some pain in your life, some difficulty, just raise your hand if you went through something in 2018 that caused you a bit of pain, okay? So pretty much everyone in this room had their hand up. We all face suffering in life. And Jesus said this in John 16, verse 33. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. We're not going to rush out and put that on a coffee cup and look at it every morning, but it's there in the Scripture. Um, let me give you an example of this from my own life recently. Uh, there's a picture going to come up behind me. This is Jude and Darcy. You've probably seen them running about here on Sunday mornings, if you're, if you're ever here. So in December, we came up with this perfect plan. I had to go to Texas to do some work. I was involved in a training event. And so we thought, why don't we sort of do the best of both worlds and we'll make a family holiday out of it. We had the perfect plan. We're like, this is going to be brilliant. I'll work for a few days. We'll holiday. It'll just be super sweet. And we did experience some really good moments when we were away, but we also experienced a lot of difficult ones. So it started as soon as we got on the plane in Dublin and Darcy had a really high temperature. So we spent the whole time trying to keep her cool. The flight attendants were up with ice cream. They were saying, do we need to ask for a doctor? Do we need to open the first aid kit? We didn't tell mom and dad that. They were asking all these questions. How can we help you? They kept coming back to us. So that was the first bit of stress we encountered. The next flight, Jude got travel sick and there was a bit of a cleanup to do. Let's just say that. I had literally just fallen asleep and then there was this commotion to my left-hand side. So that was the second. So we're not even anywhere near Texas at this point, and our holiday's going a little bit south. When we were there, both Jude and Darcy took allergic reactions to something. We're not sure what. We had to go to the pharmacy a couple of times. Jude then got tonsillitis. I was sending pictures back to my mom. What does this look like? <laughs> Do we need to get an antibiotic for this? So as you can see, this perfect plan that we were only away for 10 days. <laughs> we had about 10 disasters while we were there too. But we shouldn't really be surprised because it's part and parcel of our lives. And if I am honest, when I go through those things, at times the question that comes to my mind is why? You know, why did this family holiday that we wanted to go on, why did it not just work out smoothly? And don't get me wrong, we had a great time. But often we ask why? And that's in just such a, a trivial way in the why didn't my family holiday work out, compared to some of the questions that others may be asking. Persecuted Christians who are being thrown in prison right this very moment for doing what we're doing in this very moment. Parents of very ill children, not children who have sore throats and funny tummies. I'm talking children who have long-term illnesses. 
maybe children of elderly parents who are um, on the decline and they just constantly have to care for them and watch their parent who, who loved them and raised them all their life get weaker and weaker. Maybe those who have lost their jobs, lost relationships, lost everything. Maybe people who are battling depression day in, day out and these illnesses that they can't seem to shake off. There's so many questions that we can ask about these things. And in John 16, Jesus does say, in this life you will have trouble. But he does also tell us to take heart for I have overcome the world. And what that means is that <clears throat> we don't have to face difficulties and suffering and pain alone. And as we read and as we jump into the book of Ruth tonight, we'll see someone who went through intense pain and suffering in Ruth and Naomi. And we can learn how we can respond in those times of difficulty, whenever those questions of why are raised in our lives. We can see in this book what it looks like to have a life that surrendered to God, even in those moments. And this book gives us hope and an example to follow when we are suffering and facing difficulty in life. So all of us face difficulty and suffering in 2018. And of course, we're praying that that won't happen in 2019. But maybe, just maybe, this might prepare us for what's ahead of us this year. So as we begin looking at Ruth, let me give you a bit of context for this book. This book plays out in a really difficult time in the history of Israel. The story is set in the time of the Judges, a time characterized in the book of Judges as a period of religious and moral breakdown. There was national disunity and frequent oppression. There was no, no author named in this, but the mention of David and his genealogy places the writing sometime after David became king in 1010 BC, just so you know, in case you're interested. There was a famine in Judah, and this forces Naomi and her husband to leave Israel and move to Moab, where their sons marry Moabite women. This is where things begin to unravel in the story for Naomi, one of the central characters. In the first five verses, we are invited into the life of someone who went through deep, bitter pain and loss in a foreign land. So if you have your Bible there, you want to turn to Ruth chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first five verses. So the little title overview of this gives an indication. In my Bible, it says, Naomi loses her husband and sons. Doesn't sound like a great start to a book, but it says this, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she left with her and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So let's not rush on too quickly from these verses because it gives you an indication of, of what the type of story this is. This is a story that there is intense pain and brokenness in. Here is someone who has moved 
to a foreign land because of famine. They moved to Moab, which is actually a, a nation that was constantly at war with Israel, if you read throughout the Old Testament. While she's there, her husband dies. Then there's this bit of hope where her two sons marry, but they actually marry Moabite women, which is actually talked about in, the, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, said, do not mar- intermarry with other nations. Then her two sons die. Her identity as a wife and as a mother and as, and as an Israelite has all been stripped away in the first five verses, verses of this book. She was an Israelite in a foreign land and literally everything has been taken from her. So if we dare for a moment, let's put ourselves in her shoes and imagine that pain and loss. And maybe you've experienced pain and loss like this, or you've walked beside someone who has. A few times in life, I found myself walking or sitting alongside people who experience loss like this. And the pain, there's just something that's so indescribable about it. It's so palpable and so deep that it's really hard to put words to. But four years ago, on a Saturday morning, Rebecca got a call to say that her dad, Headley, had unexpectedly passed away. And that moment is etched in my mind whenever she told me that because there was so much pain and hurt and so much question even in her telling me what had happened. There was such a deep brokenness in that moment. And I can remember when it came to uh, begin moving some of Headley's personal belongings from his home. I can remember as we sort of held them and these little keepsakes and things and the stories we told and reminisced, there was almost a sense that the pain would never go away, that, that this brokenness would never stop. And um, it's something that's so hard to explain, but if you've walked through it, you know what it feels like. And so can you put yourself in Naomi's shoes for a moment, where she loses her husband, then her two sons. It's almost too much for one person to bear, yet here we are invited into her story. Ruth too, she went through her difficulty, sharing a household, losing a husband, hope that was in their hearts of continuing their family line to the future generation was cut short. No children, no possibility of extending the family name to the next generation. To lose one family member is enough, but to lose three is just too hard to understand. This, by all accounts, is a hopeless case for these two. Yet, as we read on, God was planning to bring purpose out of the pain. And in chapter one, this is the first thing that we learn, that God's kindness provides hope for Naomi through Ruth. This is what we see in chapter 1. Verse 11, if you want to look at that in chapter 1, it says, But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I'm, going to, I'm not going to have any more sons. Who would become your husbands? At this stage, Naomi's planning to go back to Judah. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. At this, they wept aloud again. You can imagine these three had wept a lot together. Here they are 
weeping again as they say goodbye. So Naomi's announcing her return to Israel. Ruth chooses to go with her. Orpah chooses to stay in Moab. But Ruth shows great loyalty to Naomi by saying, where you go, I am going. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. Ruth, inspired by God, decides to go with Naomi. Even though as a foreign widow in Israel, the outlook is probably pretty bleak for her. She wouldn't have been able to worship God in the way that this new God she had chosen to follow um, would say to do in the temple. She wouldn't have had access. But at this moment, she chooses to make this step. I'm sure both Ruth and Naomi were in doubt as to what awaited them when they arrived back in Israel. No home, no husbands to provide, and no way of providing for themselves. But even in the middle of all this pain, they kept pursuing God. So even in the, in the middle of the worst circumstance, we see Ruth saying, no, where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. That's what she decided to do, even in the midst of this really difficult pain. Chapter two, this is the second thing that we see happening where God's kindness provides for Ruth and Naomi's immediate needs. This is what we learn from chapter two. So upon arrival in Israel, the two women find a farmer who allows him to pick grain in his field. Boaz is a man of noble character and makes special provisions for Ruth. We see God immediately stepping in with kindness for these broken people as soon as they arrive back in Israel. So in chapter 2, verse 8, if you want to flick there, you can. It says, So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where their men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So Ruth finds this place that she can go and glean. So that's already a picture of God's grace where she can go and glean. But then she, she finds this man, Boaz, who is actually going out of his way to protect and to help her. We see in Leviticus 23, uh, chapter 23, verse 22, it says this. It's a direction that was given to the people of Israel. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the far, foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord, your God. So we, we see almost like a double blessing coming here from both God's word and one of God's people. So God's word had already created provision in Leviticus for Ruth and Naomi. And then God's provision is seen again through Boaz, who goes the extra mile for them. And he actually, if you read the full chapter, he actually tells the other workmen to, to leave a few extra things aside so that Ruth can lift them along the way. So God was not only providing a way through his word, he was providing his way through a person. So can you imagine this person, or sorry, you can imagine, can you imagine Ruth going through what she had gone through, a refugee from an enemy nation, someone who many Israelites would have shunned and would have not let in to relationship or let into their land, but he is allowing her to, to glean from a field. Such kindness being shown to a foreigner. 
This is God's ideal for us and how we treat those who are foreigners, those who maybe end up in our soil, and I'm not trying to get political here, people who end up in our country because of wars that we've been involved in or famine that's going on. And if we're not careful, well, I can say from my own point of view, my heart gets a little bit hardened towards them because you read things and you hear stories. But God's heart is that we provide for the weak, provide for those who are going through difficulty, providing for the foreigner among us. And I know that's something that's definitely on the heart of this church too, that we would continue to do that in a faithful way. So here we see God's kindness in his word, but also in the actions of his followers. And that's a challenge to me tonight. We see the kindness in, in God's word, and that's great, but it's in our actions too that our kindness and God's kindness gets shown, and that's where the rubber hits the road, and it gets quite challenging if we're really, really honest about it. So jumping on, chapter 3. We see in chapter 3, if you want to turn there, in the opening verses, and then on down. So if you move down to, I think it's verse 17, I'm going to read from here. So Ruth has been gleaning this field of Boaz. And it says, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah, 30 pounds or 13 kilograms. She carried it back to the town. It turns out that Ruth was pretty strong as well physically. She carried it to her mother-in-law, and she saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Naomi then asked her where she was gleaning and who was the man who had taken notice of her. And this is uh, Ruth's response. She says it was Boaz. It's this man, Boaz, who has been so kind to me. And then Naomi's response in verse 20 says, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. She added, this man is our close relative He is one of our guardian redeemers. So here in chapter 3, we see God's kindness provides for Ruth and Naomi's future. He provides a guardian redeemer. And a guardian redeemer is a close, influential relative to whom members of the extended family could turn to for help. Again, In God's providence, he had put in his word in Leviticus that this is a role that people should carry out. The guardian redeemer was responsible for buying back family land sold during a crisis, buying back enslaved relatives, providing an heir for a dead brother, or even avenging the killing of a relative. This is the important role they had to play, caring for the relatives in difficult circumstances. So Ruth comes back from Moab. She starts gleaning in this field, and it just turns out to be this family's guardian redeemer, the person who was put in place to actually care for the family that she was now a part of. You can see God's kindness again being weaved into this story of suffering. Ruth decides to start wearing the clothes of a widow. She lets Boaz know that she is available to be married, and there's a 
interesting encounter on the threshing floor that I'll not go into tonight, but you can read it. <laughs> you can read it in the passage, and you can tell me what you think's going on there. Um, but there's this interesting encounter where she overtly lets Boaz know that she is available um, to be married. And she asks him if he is willing to redeem Naomi's family by marrying her. Boaz is amazed by Ruth's character and is glad to take her as his wife. He's amazed because he has seen that Ruth has traveled with Naomi from Moab to Israel to care for her, to look after her, to provide for her. And Boaz saw this character and he knew this is someone that he wanted to marry. What kindness. Many men would have been unwilling to marry a widow, let alone a Moabite woman. But here again, God is providing a way. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Then Boaz announced to all the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's wife, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. The suffering of both Ruth and Naomi, everything that they have gone through over the past couple of decades living in Moab is now being swallowed up in God's kindness. The difficulty and the pain, the persecution maybe even that they faced, the hardship is being swallowed up in God's kindness. And we can take encouragement from this too tonight if we're going through difficulty. We can take encouragement that in the life of God's people that he weaves this kindness in even when we are suffering. But I'll talk about that a little bit more as I come to close. Chapter 4, we see this final provision of God. God's kindness provides purpose for Ruth and Naomi's pain. That's always a question when, we, when it comes to pain in our lives. What is the purpose of this pain? Just as Ruth was loyal to Naomi in chapter 1, Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family in chapter 4. The story concludes with the reversal of the tragedies that it, begins with, that it began with. Ruth marries Boaz and gives birth to the son. This story is marked by little mention of God by name, but shows God deeply at work in all of their lives, interconnecting all these stories together. In chapter 4, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. This is in verse 14. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He's become famous here as well in Northern Ireland tonight. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So chapter 1 
opens those first five verses. Seemed like we weren't going to get anywhere tonight in those first five verses. It opens with tragedy and death. But in chapter four, it ends with joy and with a birth. There's this reversal that goes on in the book of Ruth. God used this tragic story to bring something not only beautiful, but something that brought provision for the line of the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, to come through. Jesus came through this line of David. And just imagine if Naomi, in the midst of her suffering in Moab, had decided, you know what, I'm not going to worship Yahweh anymore. My life has been too difficult. There's no way I can follow this God anymore. Imagine she had turned her back. Or imagine if Ruth, again, had been through all this difficulty, had just decided, sorry, Naomi, you're on your own, off to Israel by yourself. I'm going to try and make a living here. Imagine if she had made that decision to turn her back on God. The consequences would have been huge. But here we see God providing a way through his power for them to make these right decisions. So the big idea that I want us to consider is that God uses these seemingly everyday events and sometimes these tragic events to work towards his purposes. The grand story of what God is trying to do is, is reconcile people to him. If you want to sum up what the Bible is all about, what this whole thing is, is that God is trying to reconcile the whole earth and everyone on it to relationship with him, that people from every tribe and tongue would come back to him. And here we see people who have gone through suffering and stayed faithful, and they've been able to play their part in that. And now, I'm not saying tonight that if you make a simple decision that it's going to make a difference in the grand meta-narrative of Scripture and of God's plan, but it might for one person if you stay faithful to God in the midst of your suffering. Maybe a son or a daughter in your family, maybe a son or a daughter who isn't born yet, maybe someone who isn't yet following God, but when they see your example, how you, how you face life and how you endure through suffering will make them turn to God. And of course, the guardian redeemer that we see in this story is just a shadow of Jesus and what he would do for all people everywhere. Jesus became the guardian redeemer for each and every one of us. He took us in. He gave us protection. He literally gave us a brand new life. He gave us purpose, gave us something to live for. And just as Boaz made it possible for Naomi and Ruth's line of family to live on, now through Christ, all believers are made holy and invited into the family of God. Just as Boaz preserved and protected Ruth's family in their future, in the most perfect way, Christ preserves our future, our dignity, and gives us hope for what we're facing and what's coming ahead. So that's Ruth and Naomi's story. And I hope that none of us have to go through what they had to go through. And um, if you have, you know, we want to stand with you if that's been the case. And you're not walking that alone. But our story is that we have been invited to, to be ambassadors. We've been invited to be Christ's ambassadors in this world. The fact that the pain and the trials that we face can knock us off course 
and stop us from following God means that we need to consider this seriously. How do we remain faithful when it comes to suffering and difficulty in our lives? For Ruth and Naomi, it was just simple steps that they made. Firstly, for Naomi, she just said, I'm going to go back to Israel. I'm going to go back to my homeland. For Ruth, it was even easier. It was, I'm just going to support Naomi as she faces difficulty. That was the simple decision that she made in the middle of her suffering, just to do that right thing, that right choice that made such a difference in this whole story. So I wonder where you find yourself tonight. Can you see yourself in this story anywhere? There's maybe a few places, a few things that you've experienced that you could consider. First question, and this is an application question that I'm not going to give you the, the answer to, but I want you to consider, is what step of obedience do you need to take even in the middle of suffering? So maybe you're here tonight and you're going through something really difficult. In a room of this size, statistically, there's going to be people facing things that none of us know about, that you haven't even been able to share with other people yet. Can I encourage you to be like Ruth and take one step of obedience? One step in the right direction that allows God to bring purpose from your pain. Bring your questions with you. Bring that hurt with you. You might have doubts, but allow God in the midst of your suffering to show you kindness. So whatever you're facing, allow him to show you kindness. Here's the second application. We see in this story that God used Ruth to show his presence in Naomi's life. How can you be the instrument of God to show his love and kindness to others. So maybe you're not suffering tonight. Maybe you're not going through difficulty, but it's more than likely that there's someone near you who is. How can God use you to be an instrument the same way that Ruth was for Naomi? Here's the final application question. The book of Ruth is a, a wonderful story of God's faithfulness. And it's also a wonderful story of God's people staying faithful to God. Where have you seen God faithfully at work in your life in the past? And where do you need to trust in his faithfulness now? So those are the three questions I want us to consider as we, as we come to a close. What step of obedience do you need to take, even in the middle of suffering, how can you be an instrument of God to show his love and kindness to others? Finally, where do you need to trust in God's faithfulness now? Let's just consider those questions for a moment, and then I'm going to pray for us. Maybe there's one of those questions that's particularly relevant for you. Just allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you, to prompt you.
So I'm going <clears> to <throat> close in prayer now, but we're also going to offer, if anybody needs prayer tonight, maybe you're facing something difficult, you're going through something, there'll be a few guys at the front here, and if you want someone just to stand with you and pray, you don't need to give all the details, you don't need to tell us everything that's going on, but maybe there's just something that you need to say, I need a Ruth in my life, I need someone to stand beside me in prayer and support me, we would love to invite you to come forward, there'll be a few people here, um, just as after the, the service closes, who, who would love to pray with you, so can I encourage you to do that, but let me just pray for us as we go. Lord, I thank you for the life of Ruth and the life of Naomi. Lord, I thank you for your word that we have been given and gifted with that we can learn from. And I pray that the lessons that we see in the life of Ruth, we would apply them to our lives. And Lord, we recognize that as we face this new year, we have so many hopes, we have so many dreams, and we know that you're a good God who has good plans for us. But even in the midst of those good plans and those good things, we'll face difficulty. And there'll be moments where we'll be tempted to ask why. And that's okay. But Lord, when we ask why, we want to cling to you. Just as Ruth clung on to Naomi, with our questions and our doubts and our fears, we want to cling on to you, God, because we know that of ourselves, we have no hope. But we know that as we sung about earlier, you are that rock in times of trouble. You're the faithful one who we can cling to, even when everything else in our lives seems to have fallen down around us. You're faithful. Even when we are unfaithful, God, you're faithful. So I pray tonight for each of us with whatever of these questions that resonates most, most with us. I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you empower us? Lord, we thank you that Jesus came to be our guardian redeemer. We thank you that he made a way for us, and we thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to empower us, to give us strength, even whenever we're facing those difficult moments. So as we step out into 2019, Lord, I just pray that we would be like Ruth and we would say, where you're going, we want to go. And you will be our God and we will trust in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.